This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr dot org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome, everyone, to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson, in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson, and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 770 for release on Sunday, November 26, 2023, on WaveScan today. Radio broadcasting in Vietnam, part two. Radio New Zealand Pacific celebrates its 75th anniversary, and a conversation with Glenn Tapley and George Ross at the HFCC conference in Australia. Last week we started a two-part series on the topic of radio broadcasting in the country of Vietnam. Today, Ray Robinson wraps that up with a look at the radio scene from 1954 to the present day. Here's Ray in Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. A power vacuum in Vietnam following the Second World War led to years of bitter fighting between the communist Viet Minh in the north and the French colonialists, who maintained a tight grip in the south. Eventually, in 1954, an agreement was signed in Geneva, provisionally dividing Vietnam along the 17th parallel. With Ho Chi Minh's communist government ruling the north from Hanoi with backing from the Soviet Union, and the Republic of Vietnam governing the south from Saigon with backing from the United States, the Viet Cong were unhappy with the arrangement. However, wanting a united Vietnam instead, from 1955 onwards, the frequency of guerrilla attacks in the south increased as an insurgency from the north gathered steam. It's generally recognised now that although Hanoi's support for the Viet Cong played a role, at the core of the crisis in the early days was South Vietnamese governmental incompetence, with poor leadership, corruption, political promotions, and a weak, poorly trained military. On the radio scene in the 50s and early 60s, North Vietnam had two stations on medium wave: 1010 kilohertz for their home service in Vietnamese and 1200 kilohertz for their foreign service in English, French, Cambodian, Laotian, Thai, Cantonese, and Mandarin. Both services also used shortwave frequencies in the 49, 31, and 25 meter bands. In English, they announced as the Voice of Vietnam, Hanoi. In the south, three radio networks were maintained. The main station in Saigon in Vietnamese was on 1090 kilohertz. The second network, with programming in Vietnamese, English, and Thai, was on 838 kilohertz. And the third network on 1360 kilohertz had programming in Vietnamese, French, Cambodian, and Chinese. All three networks also used domestic shortwave frequencies to provide nationwide coverage. While reluctant to do so, U.S. President Kennedy had stationed 16,000 American military personnel in South Vietnam by November 1963, 
and to accompany them, an AFRS, American Forces Radio Service Station, was set up in Saigon. The domestic medium-wave frequencies were all shuffled in 1962, with the main station moving to 870 kHz, the second network to 610, the third to 1090, previously used by the main station, a fourth part-time network in Chinese only was set up on 750, and to supplement the use of domestic shortwave, half a dozen regional stations were also set up on medium-wave. The new 1 kilowatt AFRS station was then assigned the frequency of 1360 kHz, previously used by the third network. In 1966, a 50 kW Voice of America station was set up in Hue, near the demilitarized zone, broadcasting solely in Vietnamese, and the 1 kW transmitter for the AFRS station in Saigon was moved to 820 kHz. From 1963 onwards, US military strength in Vietnam was steadily increased, until it reached a peak of 540,000 troops during the communist-led Tet Offensive in early 1968. In 1967, the 1 kW AFRS transmitter in Saigon again changed frequency, this time to 540 kHz, but it was recognised that a much more robust radio presence was needed to support the half-million-plus Americans in the country. And thus, the American Forces Vietnam Network, or AFVN, was created, broadcasting round-the-clock 24 hours per day. The transmitter in Saigon on 540 kHz was replaced with a new 50 kW unit, and a 100 kW FM transmitter was also installed on 99.9 MHz. A second 50 kW medium wave unit was also installed on 560 kHz at Ply Ku in the Central Highlands. Elsewhere in the country, 10 kW AFVN transmitters were installed on 770, 850 and 900 kHz, and 1 kilowatt units on 930 and 1200 kilohertz. Each station had its own local studios and broadcast a mix of locally produced programming and network programming from Saigon. In 1970, three more 25-kilowatt medium-wave transmitters were added, making the station's slogan, from the Delta to the DMZ, a truthful reality. Most of the US troops were conscripted or drafted, of course, and were not there voluntarily. So how important were these AFVN stations to the troops that served in Vietnam? My radio was just like my rifle. My radio was wrapped up in black tape, wrapped up in a Prick 25 battery bag, taped down to keep it moist out. Music kept me sane. Far away, up in the highlands, we had transistor radios. And in the middle of the day, way up north near the DMZ, you could listen to Diana Ross and the Supremes and, and all the popular groups that were out that time. And it kept me feeling close to home. From Saigon, this is the American Forces Vietnam Network, presenting million-dollar music for the Aquarian Age. The big sound for Americans in Vietnam came from AFVN. In many respects, AFVN tried to emulate the sound of WABC New York, right there in the middle of Vietnam, not talking about the war, but providing sounds from and a connection with home. You may remember the movie Good Morning Vietnam, with Robin Williams playing the role of AFRS DJ Adrian Cronauer. The movie immortalised his ritual on-air greeting at the beginning of the Dawnbuster show at 6am, but interestingly, he was only in Vietnam for about a year, from 1965 to 66. 
When he left, subsequent DJs continued to use his signature greeting. And here's one of those, Les Howard Jacoby in 1967. Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, hi, hello, good morning all over your face, how do you feel? 7.20 now, on the day after Thanksgiving, right? You have some turkey yesterday? I hope you did, as we kick open the doors to the Don Buster right here in the Big VN with Army Specialist Les Howard Jacoby saying, Good morning, Vietnam. At times, AFVN staff were directly in harm's way. Following a fierce firefight during the Tet holiday on February 5, 1968, the AFVN station at Hue, just south of the DMZ, was overrun. Two men assigned to AFVN died in the assault, as well as a civilian with NBC International who died defending the station. Six AFVN staff were taken prisoner, with one being executed shortly after capture. The other five spent about five years in captivity before being released. Only one AFVNer in Hue escaped that night. But the job of the Army Specialist DJs was to be as entertaining and professional as possible under the circumstances, complete with Pam-style jingles. From April the 19th, 1969, here's one Pat Sajak, better known these days as the long-time host of the TV show Wheel of Fortune. Number one! Well, if you leave us at this point, that does it for today. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6.15 for another Dawn Buster. This is Army Specialist Pat Sajak with you. And we're coming up at 8.05 with Part 3 if you're staying around. Right now, a brand new number one song. Fifth Dimension, Aquarius and Let the Sun Shine In. This is the American Forces Vietnam Network. From Saigon, Channel 54 AM, 99.9 FM. Time at the automatic tone, 0800. Good morning, I'm Marine Corporal Rick Fredrickson with five minutes of news compiled from commercial and military news agencies. One of the themes highlighted in the movie Good Morning Vietnam was that of military censorship, not just of the news, but also of what music could be played. Censoring news didn't really make much sense since American newspapers were easily available, which included all the latest casualty figures anyway. But on the music front, anything that could potentially undermine the morale of the troops, as well as anti-war protest songs and anything deemed unpatriotic, was also banned. Examples include We Gotta Get Out of This Place by The Animals, War by Edwin Starr, and Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town by Kenny Rogers. When most American soldiers in Vietnam turned their radios on, the strongest signal came from the official military radio network. But in some areas, they also listened to unauthorized pirate stations rigged up by their fellow GIs. Such underground radio stations were not widespread and usually didn't transmit far, so many soldiers never heard them. But there were several broadcasting over the course of the war. Here's one that broadcast on FM in Saigon. Good evening again, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host for the next three hours of hard acid rock music, Dave Rabbit, and my studio engineer, Pete Sadler. For those of you who have just recently come into the Republic of Vietnam, I'd like to give you a little information about it. We're an underground radio station here, and we say what we feel like saying, and we bring the truth to the first-termers in the Republic of Vietnam. We also bring you hard-acid rock music 
all through the night. The up-to-date music of today's American youth. And partially because of the censorship, soldiers also listened to propaganda stations set up by the Viet Cong, which did play some of the band music and gave a different perspective on the news, often including very local information not mentioned on AFVN. By 1969, the North Vietnamese spent four hours per day broadcasting to American troops. You are new here, and we don't expect you to believe us when we tell you how bad it is. It is a flat, scary jungle, thick with scrub trees and tall grass, hot and wet in intermittent rain and strong tropical dragonflies and Viet Cong sniper bullets. You are a long, long way from Port Riley now, and there is no JC Cafe in town on Washington Street where you can sit around the counter eating hamburgers and sipping coffee without having to be afraid a bomb might go off like it did at that restaurant in Saigon a few weeks back. You can get killed here. Get out while you are still alive and before it's too late. Hanoi Hanna was the Vietnam War's equivalent of World War II's Tokyo Rose. How are you, G.I. Joe? It seems to me that most of you are poorly informed about the going of the war. To say nothing about a correct explanation of your presence over here. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die or to be maimed for life without the faintest idea of what's going on. Of course, the U.S. also had its 50-kilowatt transmitter broadcasting propaganda and disinformation to the North in Vietnamese until quite late in the war. One of my own personal very first QSLs came from the voice of Vietnam, Hanoi, which I received at my home in London, England, on the 15th of August 1971. The QSL was for a broadcast on 15018 kHz, received at 2000 UTC, and it gave the station's address as 58 Quan Su Street, Hanoi. These days, most broadcasting in Vietnam is on the FM band, but not exclusively so. The 2023 World Radio TV handbook still lists more than 30 medium-wave transmitters, and the Foreign Service Voice of Vietnam may still be heard in a dozen different languages, including English, on various shortwave frequencies to Asia, the Middle East and Europe. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. That was Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. And I, too, can remember listening to The Voice of Vietnam back in the 1970s. I was living in Indianapolis at the time, but I could hear The Voice of Vietnam from its relay via Radio Havana, Cuba. Here's a historic recording of the first of those relay transmissions in 1968. The Voice of Vietnam. This is the Voice of Vietnam. The Voice of Vietnam is a program dedicated to the American people and may be heard every day at this same time and frequency. Good evening. Today we bring you our first broadcast of The Voice of Vietnam. May we extend greetings to all our friends near or far away, who have tuned in this English radio program from our Vietnamese people. The Voice of Vietnam is a program dedicated to the American people. 
and may be heard every day on the same bands and frequencies of Radio Havana, Cuba. Tell your friends about this program. We would like to hear from our friends on themes about Vietnam. Please send your letters to The Voice of Vietnam, Post Office Box 6116, Havana, Cuba. That was the first relay of The Voice of Vietnam via Radio Havana, Cuba at the beginning of 1968. Incidentally, there was, of course, no Internet back then, so the program material was sent from Vietnam to Havana via teleprinter and read in the studios of Radio Havana, Cuba, by announcers located there. Wolfgang Buschel's Worldwide DX Top News alerts us to an item about Radio New Zealand. It's been 75 years since Radio New Zealand commenced broadcasting on shortwave frequencies into the Pacific region. The service used two 7.5-kilowatt transmitters in Titahi Bay, near Wellington, which had been left by the United States military after World War II. Radio New Zealand began shortwave broadcasts to Australia and the Pacific in 1948. During those early broadcasting days, the program related directly to events in New Zealand and the Pacific region. In the late 1980s, the government, at that time Labour, came under pressure to take a more active role in the region. This led to upgrades to the shortwave service. A new 100-kilowatt transmitter was installed at Rangitaiki in the middle of the North Island. The service was relaunched as Radio New Zealand International, RNZI. On the same day, the Commonwealth Games opened in Auckland in 1990. Today, RNZI is known as RNZ Pacific, a change made in 2017 to clearly reflect what the service does and its focus. Talopalava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Elisha Food. Coming up... The biggest international event to ever be hosted in Solomon Islands is kicking off. Also, food aid is starting to be distributed to people whose gardens have been wrecked. Looking back on RNZ's 75 years of service on shortwave, Chief Executive and Editor-in-Chief Paul Thompson says, Shortwave was relatively modern technology when we brought it in 75 years ago. And who would have thought at that stage that in 2023 we would be about to install another shortwave transmitter in Rangitaiki, where our transmitter is. So, look, it's amazing technology. It's old world in some ways, but still works. It's just a pivotal part of our trusted content to the wider Pacific region, and we should be feeling proud that we are still maintaining that tradition, he said. This refers to another new transmitter which will be built for RNZ Pacific, following the New Zealand government's $4.4 million New Zealand dollar funding commitment in 2022, ensuring the future of the service. Thompson said RNZ Pacific was continuing to add distribution methods to the service. And obviously, he said, the Internet, digital, and social media has broadened our reach and engagement with people. But it's interesting how shortwave keeps chugging away, doing the hard work. It really is the pack horse or workhorse of our distribution through the region. Really glad we're investing and improving it. RNZ Pacific broadcasts in both digital and analog shortwave to partner stations and individual listeners across the Pacific region. Its technical specialist, Adrian Sainsbury, said, Many partner stations in the Pacific rebroadcast our content using DRM. He said Digital Shortwave offers partner stations FM quality audio. Thompson said that it was absolutely critical, and you can see shortwave being used 
during the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that when there is civil unrest or civil disturbance or the weather takes out local infrastructure, the ability to be able to transmit from New Zealand and get it to people through their radio receivers is very powerful. Sainsbury agreed, citing the Hungatonga Hungahapai volcanic eruption in the Pacific as an event with region-wide consequences and rendered internet cables and satellite transmission inoperable. Where traditional communication like cable or satellite reception was impaired by the volcanic ash, shortwave radio could still get through, he said. Last week, we finished our recordings of the opening plenary session at the HFCC B23 Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference in Australia, which took place along the coast of the state of Queensland, a bit south of the city of Brisbane in an area known as the Gold Coast. Today we have the first part of a conversation that we recorded there with Glenn Tapley of shortwave station WEWN in Alabama, USA, and George Ross of Transworld Radio. And we are on the terrace um, here in Surfer's Paradise in the state of Queensland, Australia, uh, at the HFCC B23 Coordination Conference. And uh, George, this is our second time in Australia. Were you here the first time? Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is something. I learned that what I should be saying to you, Jeff, is, good day, Jeff. How you doing, mate? <laughs> That's right. The first time was 2015, and we had the conference in uh, Brisbane. In Brisbane, yeah. yeah. At a uh, hotel in, in town, right? We did, yeah. Brisbane, and the first time we, I had the opportunity to come to Australia. And uh, it, evidently, according to Ken Lingwall, there's different Australias around it's, it's dependent on where you are, what state you're in, and uh, evidently you don't want to go to the center of Australia because you'll never get out. So, <laughs> but we're here in, in Surfer's Paradise, which I didn't think was a real city, I just, but, it, but it is on the Gold Coast of Australia. Absolutely beautiful here. It's what, going into spring, mm-hmm. and the highs are in the 70s, low to mid-70s, and the lows are upper 50s, you know, it's in Fahrenheit. And, uh, man, it's just really beautiful here. Well, I think we had a, one drop of rain, but it dissipated quickly. So, yeah, it's very nice. No, yeah. yeah, very nice weather here. It's, it's about an hour south of uh, Brisbane, um, where we are now. And uh, But a lot of things have changed since 2015. I think uh, in 2015 we had Radio Australia with us, right? That's correct, yes. And now they're not on air at all. Shortwave, the only shortwave broadcaster from Australia is Reach Beyond. And of course, they're the ones that are actually um, hosting this conference here this time. And Reach Beyond is is affiliated with uh, Reach Beyond in the United States as well, right? Yes, they, they actually have two divisions. One's Reach Beyond Australia, the other one's out of Colorado Springs, which is Reach Beyond in the U.S. now. And, and longtime shortwave listeners will remember HCJB in Ecuador, which is part of what is now Reach Beyond. Who, who actually originally started the HCA, HCJB Australia here, because they had so much response from Australia and the Pacific from Quito, Ecuador. And they found that they could actually place a site here, had one come up that they could use. And I think the, uh, the transmitters that they have here, uh, Reach Beyond Australia, are from... ATJB or their technology center, uh, right? Yes, from Elkhart, Indiana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have also um, 
transmitters by Elkhart, Indiana that are in our Guam site and also in our Eswatini site in South Africa. So we're the only three broadcasters that have these transmitters. Are they still making them? No, they're not. So, yeah, they're a legacy transmitter now. Herb Jacobson, some of the listeners may know him quite well, as he did a lot of work with Harris transmitters, too, Mm -hmm. actually designed and invented these transmitters Mm -hmm. and was on the verge of making them DRM capable. Mm -hmm. But that never happened. Ah. So your transmitters that... uh, that Transmit DRM uh, from from Guam are, n- are not those then. No, they're not. Okay. They're Ampagon transmitters. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, Glenn, what what has uh, surprised or impressed you about uh, this uh, B twenty three conference? Well, the fact that I got here and we all arrived okay and and safely and it's a long trip. It's a very long trip, but you know it it was you know it, as. Uh, Tom Lucy with the FCC used to say, once you're on the ground, it's all good. So it's all good, and uh, coordination is going uh, extremely well. And, yeah, just excited to be here, excited to be among the colleagues, and uh, just doing the work that needs to be done. One of the things that uh, uh, I think surprised some people was at the um, uh, group of experts meeting, as they call it, Calvin Carter from Continental Electronics, which is one of the one of the few shortwave transmitters manufacturers that remains now, uh, announced that they have produced and will be producing, uh, if there's demand, uh, solid state HF transmitters. Right? Oh boy, does that sound good! <laughs> <laughs> and what is the advantage of that? Shortwave broadcasting is the only media platform today that still uses the old tube-style transmitters. So you have tubes and capacitors and components that today are becoming very hard to replace. And very expensive. Very expensive. So looking at solid state would bring things up to yet another dynamic of digital broadcasting even to make it much more efficient. So in that respect, it looks incredible. Now, when it comes to the cost respect, that's still something to be looking at, but but that would really bring things up a notch for the capability, I think, of shortwave broadcasting in the future. We were talking there with George Ross of Transworld Radio and Glenn Tapley of WEWN in Birmingham, Alabama, at the HFCC B23 Shortwave Coordination Conference in Queensland, Australia. And we'll have more of that conversation next week on WaveScan. And we end today's wave scan with traditional instrumental music from Vietnam. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week on the program, American Apex stations of the 1930s. And more from the HFCC B23 conference in Australia. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, 
Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White, WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org. Or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 